Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your faith and would help you to get to know God's love, grace, and mercy in a personal way. If you have any questions on the sermon or would like to know more about Maranatha, please visit us on the web at maranathafreelutheran.com or call our church office at 218-498-2808. Thank you, and may God bless. There's an old saying that uh, goes like this, uh, moms have eyes in the back of their heads. Um, We know that's really not true. Um, But it does seem like they kind of have a sixth sense, uh, just knowing uh, what their little kids are up to, even when they're in the next room. Well, as as kids get uh, a little older and they do things that are farther away than the next room, uh, there are things that moms don't see and don't know about, maybe until years later even, or if ever. Uh, My mom didn't see when I, as a kid, climbed the windmill on the farm. Uh, She didn't hear about some of the mishaps or or close calls that some of us uh, siblings had uh, with machinery and so on on the farm until years later. But you know, our creator God didn't miss a thing. He saw, and he protected me in my youth, um, and, he, and he sees it all in our personal lives. Uh, not a thing gets by him. And he also sees and he knows everything that goes on in a Christian church as well. And as we look today at another letter then of Jesus Christ to a congregation in Asia Minor, we recognize that Jesus himself makes this same claim regarding the congregation of Thyatira, and that is that he sees and he knows all regarding them. And we have to conclude that if that's true for them, then it's true for us here at Maranatha as well. I invite you to look with me at at Revelation as we're walking through the various letters of Jesus to the churches uh, there in Asia. We get to the uh, one on, on Thyatira. Um, beginning with chapter 2, verse 18. I invite you to stand in reverence to God's word as we read. <clears throat> and to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love, and faith, and service, and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works." And I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart. And I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you at Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching and who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end To him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let us again pause and pray. Lord God, we thank you for these letters of Jesus 
to the congregations there in Asia. And, and Lord, we pray that as we dig into this today, that you'd give us understanding into the things in that situation. And also, Lord, that you'd apply it to each of our hearts and lives and to our congregation. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> So as Jesus dictates a letter for the Christian congregation there at Thyatira, how does he describe himself? Um, back in chapter 1, John described Jesus as the Son of Man. Here in verse 18, Jesus declares himself to also be the Son of God, which means that he is not a created angel or human being, but, but he's one who was and who is eternally of the same essence as God the Father, and, and he is the sinless Son of God who took on human flesh and who went to the cross to die in the place of sinners in order that they'd have forgiveness of their sins. And he is also then has earned the right to be both the judge and, and the savior of the human race. Brighton says about him that this, he holds within his hands the destiny of the entire human race the world itself, and all of history. Jesus also says about himself here that he has eyes like a flame of fire. As the Son of God, he has penetrating vision from which there can be no concealment. In Hebrews chapter 4, it tells us this, there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. To have all of our actions and our words and even our thoughts laid bare fill us all with embarrassment and shame as we know that we stand then guilty and condemned before a holy God. And the vision that John describes here of Jesus is of the Son of God who not only sees all things but whose eyes burn with a righteous anger against all agents of darkness and enemies of the truth including those that were part then of the congregation there at Thyatira. He says one other thing about himself here. He says, I have feet like burnished bronze. And folks at Thyatira were familiar with metalwork and the process then of purifying it and making it strong and solid. And so to them, Jesus declaring his feet to be like burnished bronze would symbolize an absolute purity and inflexible integrity. Jesus is saying that he has a firmness and a determination to trample underfoot what is impure in all enemies of the truth. As we think about Thyatira here for a bit, just a couple things in background there. It, it was a commercial center with a trade route, um, or right on a trade route, and, and um, one of its major commodities was textiles. Thyatira was especially known uh, for purple dyed fabrics. And you might remember, um, <clears throat> tells us uh, in Acts about the first convert at Philippi was a lady, a Lydia, a lady named Lydia um, who was a seller of purple fabrics. And uh, she came from Thyatira. Thyatira was also known for its bronze and silver smiths and for its pottery. And each of those crafts then had their own guilds, kind of like a labor union, except that those guilds also were their social connections, not just their employment. <clears throat> and Christians at Thyatira then had to choose uh, excuse me, the, the, I should mention about the guilds. Uh, guilds would hold some yearly festivals. Uh, in, in the temple of all Apollo, uh, which would then involve some sexually immoral practices. And, and so Christians at Thyatira then would end up having to choose on if they would participate in those things, um, or if not, that they would risk losing their jobs. 
And I'm just speculating, but it's perhaps even why Lydia moved to Philippi was because of that. Well, as we look at the, Jesus' message here to the church at Thyatira, <clears throat> he says this, I know your works. As you look at, the, you see there are many positives he lists there. I, I know your love and your faith and your service and patient endurance and that your latter works exceed the first. And he commends them then for exhibiting the fruits of the Spirit, love for each other, a, a strong faith, a willing service to each other and others in need, and, and patiently enduring difficulties. And he praises them that they're growing in these qualities, which should be the goal for each of us, uh, to be growing in the fruits of the Spirit. But there is one serious issue that Jesus must address with this congregation. So many positives, but he says this, you've got to deal with Jezebel. I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel. There's one woman who is part of this fellowship who is creating some serious problems for the congregation and needs to be dealt with. To not deal with her and the havoc that she's wreaking here is, is to allow then problems to spread that would cripple the work of the congregation and the personal face of individuals that would follow her. And so, just who was this Jezebel? And what was she doing? Well, it seems that she was a real woman in this congregation, but Jezebel is not likely her real name. It's rather a descriptive name that Jesus assigns to her to make his point here. And uh, in order to understand that, we need to look back in the Old Testament a bit. You see, there are some good reasons why almost no one named their daughter Jezebel in New Testament times or, or today as well. Um, Jezebel has become synonymous with, as one of the most wicked women in the Bible. Um, we go back to the Old Testament books of 1 Kings, uh, and we read from some of that today here, and, and tells us about her there and how she, along with her husband, wicked King Ahab, instituted worship of the false god, Baal, on a national scale there in Israel, uh, which then led God's people into immoral practices. She also did what she could to kill many of the prophets of the true God of Israel. And so God sent his prophet Elijah to rebuke King Ahab and to tell him that because of your refusing to turn from this, there's going to be a long drought in our land. And it didn't rain after that for the next three and a half years. And the drought eventually ended, though, with the famous face-off on Mount Carmel between Elijah and those 400 prophets of Baal that was read by by Dave earlier in the scriptures today. And, and after God showed himself then to be the true God by raining down fire upon a soaking wet altar and, and sacrifice and consuming it all, then Baal was shown to have really no power in comparison um, and all the prophets of Baal were slain. And, and that made wicked Queen Jezebel very angry. And, and she threatened to have Elijah killed and he, fred, he fled for his life for a time. But later he came back and he prophesied that Jezebel would die and that she would be eaten by dogs. And a few years later, sure enough, King Ahab died. Jezebel was thrown out of her palace window and died. And stray dogs came along and ate most of her body before she was buried. There you have it, a summary of the Old Testament character Jezebel. Well, who was this woman here at Thyatira that Jesus refers to as Jezebel? Well, we don't know much about her. 
beyond what's told here in Revelation chapter 2. She considered herself to be a prophetess, and it seems that she was claiming that God told her that she and others in the congregation at Thyatira should just go along with participating in the guild activities that would include then those um, times of worship in the temple of Apollo and, and participating in sexual immorality there and, and eating food that was sacrificed to the idols there. Well, what's the big deal about going along with something like that? Does a little sexual immorality really do any harm? In our society today, we don't typically have such practices going along with religious rituals in temples, but we certainly do live in an over-sexualized society in which sex is treated very casually and people have the perspective, I can do anything I want with my own body. And unfortunately, that mindset then has creeped into and permeated even much of the Christian church. And so that instead of people looking to God and his word to understand his created design for each of us as male and female genders, and understanding that sexual expression then is meant to be only in the context of a heterosexual marriage relationship, people instead end up looking not to God's word to understand, but instead looking within themselves and then coming up with all kinds of additional gender options and sexual practices. But when we fail to see our bodies as part of who God created us to be, and we instead think of our bodies as maybe kind of like a machine that we can just use however we feel like, we're left then with a continual confusion about who we even are. And instead of finding sexual freedom, we end up with enslavement to physical passion, which pulls us away from the Lord. So how should the congregation at Tyra Tyra deal with Jezebel? And how should congregations today deal with Jezebels among them, who would encourage compromise with other religions and worship of false gods, and who would encourage sexually immoral lifestyles? Well, Jezebels are not to be tolerated and allowed to lead others away from the Lord and his word. And they need to be confronted with their sin and even expelled from the fellowship. And the one thing that Jesus has against this congregation at Thyatira is that instead they have just tolerated it and they have allowed her to continue influencing others in the congregation. And Jesus says to them essentially here, you need to deal with Jezebel. And if you won't, I will. Look at verse 21. He says, I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I'll throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works, and I'll strike her children dead. Now, How does Jesus say that he will deal with Jezebel and those who follow her? Verse 22, I will throw her into a sickbed. Well, it seems she probably deserved that, right, we think? But he also says in verse 23, I will strike her children dead. Yeah, that sure seems severe to us, doesn't it? Did they do anything to deserve that? We don't really know. But this brings up a, a very interesting issue that I think we need to wrestle with. And can we confidently say that certain people deserve sickness or death? We need to be very careful on that one. On the one hand, we all do. We all deserve sickness, death, and hell for our sins. But we have to admit that we do not understand why it is 
that some people struggle, for instance, with long-term illnesses like cancer and why some people die so young and others don't. And it's ultimately in the hands of Almighty God and sometimes we just do not understand his ways. As we look here in Revelation 2, though, uh, Jesus does reveal a part uh, of what he's seeking to do there at Thyatira as he deals with this woman Jezebel and her family and her, and her followers. And, and Jesus is saying here, my, my goals in dealing with this are, 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 first of all, to bring about repentance for all. Verse 21, I gave her time to repent, and she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. You see, that is Jesus' desire for each and every sinner, that they would repent, that they would turn from their sinful ways, and they would find forgiveness of their sins through his death on the cross for them. And If they will admit their sin and turn from them, there is forgiveness. And that is his goal for all who followed her and joined in her sin as well. Verse 22, those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. Jesus is amazingly patient with each of us, waiting for us to repent. But sometimes, when we refuse to listen to our conscience and we continue in what we know to be wrong, then he allows trials to come our way, sometimes even extreme ones, including even the deaths of folks that we love. And sometimes it takes drastic things to get our attention and to help us to grasp who he really is and, and that he, who's really in charge of our lives and, and of the whole world, and it is not us. So Jesus reminds the folks at, in the congregation there at Thyatira, and he's reminding us here too then uh, of his goals and what he brings about in our lives, and, and that is first of all that he would bring people to repentance, and, and then also that the congregation here would know who he really is. Verse 23, And all the churches will know that I am he, who searches the mind and the heart, and I will give to each according to your works. Do we here today fail to grasp just who we are dealing with in life at times? Jesus Christ, the all-powerful Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and who sees and who knows everything about us and who will one day be judge of the whole human race. The one who has our very lives in his hands and, and who in order to turn stubborn sinners to repent of their sin at times lays affliction upon them. The one who is also the Lord of the church and, and who will not be mocked but can choose at any time to dismantle a congregation if they will not allow his word to reign supreme. This is who we must all deal with individually and as a congregation. He's also the one who loved us so much that he was willing to die for us, that all repentant sinners would have forgiveness of their sin and eternal life. As we think about it, Old Testament Jezebel did not repent, and God dealt with her in a very sobering way. She was killed, and her body fed to the dogs. Jesus said that he would deal with Jezebel there at Thyatira as well if she did not repent by putting her on a sickbed and even bringing death in her family. So how do you and I want to deal, well, how do we want him to deal with us? How much better it is if we will live our lives in daily repentance and faith? As we look at the remaining verses in Revelation chapter 2 here, Jesus has a, 
a few words for the rest of the congregation um, who don't hold to the teaching of Jezebel. Verse 24, to the rest of you of Tyre who do not hold to this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden, only hold fast to what you have until I come. You see, apparently Jezebel had been telling others that she had kind of an inside knowledge from God that they should just go along with the idolatrous practices of the culture. But this was really a falsehood from the abyss of Satan. It was not the truth from above. And to those who had not fallen for this deception, Jesus says here, I don't lay on you any other burden, only hold fast to what you have until I come. And with these words, we have the reminder that Jesus one day will return for us and he'll take us from this world of sin and suffering and sorrows to himself in heaven. And so then he ends his letter, as he has others here, with promises to the overcomers. To the overcomer, I will give authority over the nation to rule with a rod of iron, he says here. And you know, it's hard for us to picture just what judgment day will be like someday. But we're told here and other places in the Bible as well of believers in Jesus Christ sharing with him in judging the nations. There's a similar passage that tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 2. The Apostle Paul there states, If we endure, we shall also reign with him. And so where Jesus speaks in Revelation chapter 2 here, verse 27, of how, how Jesus will rule them with a rod of iron as when the earthen pots are broken in pieces, I understand this to be something that resonated there with those folks at Thyatira, where pottery was one of the predominant trades there. And he was saying that one day all of those things that dominated and shaped our lives here on this earth will not hold on to us any longer. And he also promises for those who overcome here, I'll give the morning star. That is Jesus himself, the star of the morning. Jesus, the light of the world, as Pastor Nick just this last week uh, on Wednesday night shared with us. One day, will be in his very presence in heaven. And Revelation 21 tells us that there will be no sun there, for Jesus himself will be the light. And I just close with reading from Revelation chapter 21 where it says this. And the city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God has illumined it, and its lamp is the Lamb. That's Jesus. And the nations will walk by its light, the light of Jesus. And the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it in the daytime, for there will be no night there. Its gates will never be closed. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks for your word to us. Thank you that you are very blunt in what you tell us and what you tell the churches here at, in Asia as you deal with things. Lord, thank you for the reminders of uh, what you see. It, it, you see it all. And you encourage us when, when we are walking in the light and when you are seeking to follow you and living out our lives and exhibiting the fruits of the Spirit. And Lord, may that be true of each of us in our lives today. Lord, you also confront things that are not right. As you did there at Thyatira, Lord, you desire to do that in each of our hearts and lives today. And, and so, Lord, if there is something that we know not to be right, we're pulling away from you, seeking to do things that we know are wrong and, and continue in that. Lord, we pray that even today you'd remind us of who you are, who we are dealing with, and that one day 
you will also be our judge. And, and so, Lord, help us that we would live, each one of us, in daily repentance and faith. If there be somebody who does not know you, has not been in relationship with you, Lord, and not trusted in you as their Savior and Lord, and we pray that even today you would convict them of sin, that you'd show them their need, and that they would humble themselves and honestly confess their sin and trust that you have promised, Lord, that it is forgiven because of your death on the cross for us. And so, Lord, we ask that you'd have your way in each of our hearts and lives, and, and we pray that you'd help us to live with that eternal perspective as we deal with the challenges of this life, that, that uh, Lord, we keep in mind um, what we have to look forward to in glory. And, and as we think of those who are going through times of grief, may that be a word of encouragement to them as well today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.